Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Have we learned oh. nothing from Pyeongchang? Have we learned nothing from this? Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you doing today? I am well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I have been swimming up a storm. My butt is getting into gold medal shape. All things that. <laughs> That looked pretty fantastic. I was sort of, I, I was kind of wishing I had gotten a copy of that book. Oh, well, I have to bring it. We're listeners to let you know we're going to be at the podcast movement conference in a couple of weeks. So uh, Allison will have to endure me with my butt workout three days a week. Three day, oh, it's only three days a week yes, to get a gold medal days, butt? Yes, for three months. Three days, three, three days a week, three months. Okay, but here's the BS part of it. They tell you your routine takes no more than half an hour. That is a okay. load of crap because it's like 13 leg exercises or so, about that much. And you're doing like four sets of eight. So I don't know where you're resting in between sets. And then you're ideally you should do some ab exercises, ab and trunk and back and stretching. So I have been able to watch an episode of Great British Bake Off. While doing this, because what else did you do while <laughs> right, you're right? Right. Well, I was watching some Queer Eye, so I was able. And just the first week was really, really slow. Now I'm on week two, and I uh, did some today. An episode of Bake Off is about an hour long, and I was able to do two sets and the trunk strengthening and some stretching, and still had maybe five, seven minutes of Bake Off left. So I think I might be able to introduce set three pretty soon. But uh, yeah, this this workout is insane. <laughs> It's insane. What's the what's the official title of the book? Is it is it gold medal butt? Get a gold medal butt. Okay. Own a fencer's beautiful butt without ever fencing by Gary Guerrero and Mary Leonard from the U.S. Athletic Training Center with Ron Holland, who must have written it for them because they were too busy fencing to or rate training. It all down. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> training their butts. They could probably hold the pencil between their cheeks. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if that works. Okay. <laughs> but moving on. Moving on. Yes. 
Today we have a nice little follow-up from Team Olympic Fever member Claire Egan. Claire is our biathlete from Pyeongchang 2018. Um, and the U.S. had a really difficult time in Pyeongchang this year. They did not have a good Olympics, and it was kind of expected that they would have a better one. But I think illness and the elements had something at play, and Claire tells us a little bit about what's what happened there and what's going on next with her. So take a listen. Well, Pyeongchang was rough for the whole U.S. team, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really one of our worst showings um, at any international event in years. And a big part of that was bad luck with illness, specifically on our women's team. Both Susan Dunkley and I, I was sick the week before the Olympics, and she was sick at the Olympics, which just kind of derails everything. And on the men's side, I mean, I also think, like, it was just so windy in Pyeongchang that you kind of had to, it was rolling the dice when you came into the range. So (laughs) that, that wasn't good. I mean, maybe there was some bad luck there, and then... Yeah, for whatever reason, it just wasn't our best showing. Do you have any high points of your time there? Yeah, certainly I do. Uh, my relay, I had a perfect relay leg. I mean, oh, it yeah, felt that good. Was I shot clean. I mean, that was the only time I shot clean all year. It was a kind of a crazy situation because it was the windiest race that I've ever done. <laughs> like, I, I have never in my life waited so long on the range. I was waited on the range for over a minute in standing before I started shooting, but it paid off for me because the other people who were near, you know, who arrived at the range with me on the points around me, they just started shooting and they all ended up doing several penalty laps, but I waited and then made it out clean. So at that point, I mean, I had nothing to lose. I had already kind of suffered through my own individual events and I just kind of wanted to give it everything I had in the relay and that worked out for me and also in general for our women's team that was uh one of our best relay performances that I've been a part of at least so that was a that was certainly a high point. What about the Olympic experience aspect of it how was the rest of the the non-competition experience? (laughs) Pretty wild I mean it was exhausting I mean we were there for three weeks um and we kind of had to be ready to go all the time because even like they were kind of moving races around due to the wind and so really I felt like I just had to be kind of on for three weeks and it was definitely just in turn there's like well just a lot a lot going on you know because it's it's if you take a biathlon world cup event which is already a huge event with you know, tens of thousands of spectators and millions of TV viewers. It's it's that multiplied by every sport that's competing at the Olympics. So, so many people, um, so much going on. And we were on a really crazy schedule competing at 9 at night. So we were, you know, going to bed at 3 and getting up at noon for the whole time. I mean, so the whole thing was just very outside of, what I would say my kind of normal competition experiences. I felt like I was at college, like living in a dorm and eating at a dining hall with a lot of people who are actually college age. <laughs> I felt really old at age 30 at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I don't really 
I can't sum it up in one word, but busy, you know, exhausting. I also felt, like, more connected to, I don't know if you want to call them, like, my fans, but just people from my community at home, my high school, my home state, my college, all of those communities that I'm a part of, you know, took some ownership of my Olympic experience and that was really cool like it felt like a very collective experience rather than just ritual competition oh nice do, do you have a favorite yeah. do you have a favorite souvenir not off the top of my head no but I definitely have a lot of a lot of stuff from Olympic <laughs> all right so you're going into what you've decided is going to be your last year. So what mm-hmm. what are you looking forward to? I, I noticed on your, your blog you said you, you've got a different mindset and it's kind of like you're learning again. So talk to me a little bit about that. One thing that, you know, I had always planned to be done after the Olympics. Like, okay, you know, if I meet my goal of going to the Olympics, then I, then I can retire. But one... Thing that I did not predict that seems really obvious now but I just didn't expect it was the feeling of liberation that I have with the Olympics behind me so I spent you know eight years doing full-time cross-country ski training post-college and four years really pursuing biathlon and trying to make you know explicitly trying to make the 2018 Olympic team and so in everything that I did in that whole time was framed in terms of, you know, of, of achieving that goal. And um, now that that's behind me, I just feel like I can compete just for me, just for fun, just for the sake of learning and being the best athlete I can be. And it's a really different feeling. Of, of course, you know, I've had coaches along the way tell me that that's how I should approach my sport all the time, but I wasn't able to do that. I was focused on making my goal, and yeah, now that now that I'm beyond that goal, I, I see what they were talking about. Um, so I do think it, like I never thought I would want to continue, but I, I actually am really looking forward to having this year, and already it's it's just, very different from past years and I feel really good about it oh that's exciting well we're excited about Uh that but the IBU is not having a good time right now no no although no I don't look at it that way actually like Anders Desseberg and Nicole Resch are not having a good time right now (laughs) they are the they're the former IBU president and former IBU secretary general who are under criminal investigation for corruption and bribery relating to taking payment to cover up Russian doping and to, you know, support Russian interests. So they are not having a good time, but I think that the IBU has this opportunity to really turn over a new leaf, and there are a lot of good people within the organization who also feel that way. So I was elected over the winter to chair the athletes committee. There are four of us. We represent all the athletes who compete internationally in Bathon. Um, the other people on the committee are Martin Porcot of France, Aita Gasparin of Switzerland, and Eric Lesser of Germany. And 
Eric Lesser and I attended a board meeting of the IBU in May, and I was really not sure what to expect there. I didn't even know who we'd be meeting with, honestly, but it it really, the atmosphere was like pretty joyful, I have to say. I think there are a lot of people that are, you know, happy that the corruption is being routed out and, you know, looking forward to moving forward and bringing the organization into a, a new era. Do you think mm-hmm. th- that the boycott of the world champs was effective or helped move that process along into helping the IBU change? I don't I don't think that there was anything that we could have done to prevent the IBU from taking the World Cup to Russia. I think that decision was made via a corrupt channel and there was there was no um, two ways about it. That's, that's my suspicion now, based on you know the information that we ha- that we have available publicly now. However, I think you know it was the right thing to do. The investigation into our leadership came from a WADA tip-off. So the World Anti-Doping Agency is investigating IBU, and specifically, they were looking into doping cases and why doping cases were not being handled in a timely manner and they kind of dug all of this up and then because there were financial crimes involved um, in addition to doping crimes they were able to notify law enforcement who are you know Austrian law enforcement and Norwegian law enforcement who are now dealing with the case appropriately. Well it'll be interesting times for the IBU in the the coming year that's for sure so we hope yeah, definitely. I we have a the IBU Congress is in September in Croatia. I'm uh, hoping to attend, though I don't have my plans set in stone yet. But um, the Congress happens every two years, and you know every, all the officials are up for election, and there's definitely been reports and rumors of corrupt practices in the past of the Congress. You know bribes for people to vote for different events and that kind of thing. So this is a real, it's going to be a test of the IBU's commitment to reform, and hopefully it will introduce, like, you know, a new a new wave of officials who are committed to transparency and integrity. Uh, and if not, you know, that'll be very interesting as well, because now the spotlight is on. Everyone, Everyone's watching for this. The IOC has pulled funding from the International Bathon Union over corrupt over corruption. So they're watching, the athletes are watching, everyone's watching. So hopefully people realize that and will behave the right way. I mean, they should behave the right way when no one's watching too, but we'll see. All right. Well, Claire, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk with us. We'll keep an eye on out for you this season and keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Claire. Best of luck in your next season, and we will be rooting for you. She had a very cute post today on Instagram, so her her mood is definitely on the upswing. Oh, that's good. She was waving, and it was it was really <laughs> charming and and very Claire. So I was it was funny because I just saw that right before we started to talk. So I was like, oh yay, Claire, you look all chipper. <laughs> but yeah, when you think about it, when she was talking about you strive for so many years and you focus on this one competition 
and then it's over in two weeks. Right. What happens after that? Right. And especially if you didn't do what you felt was your best. Right. But even if you did, it's okay. Now what happens? Right. Yeah. It's interesting to see where what she decided to do and take some time to think about it. And she's got a pretty sweet position with the International Biathlon Union's Athletes Commission, which is really cool. I mean, it's it's nice because she got chair because she's got the most votes from her fellow athletes, which is very, I think that's a really cool honor. Absolutely. So, And they're going through it as you oh, talk. Oh, yeah, they're having that. a bad day. They are, they're Ooh. having a bad day. They're having a few bad days because uh, did yeah. you see the, the, do we, I don't know if we talked about this, but the IOC pulled their funding from the International Biathlon Union? Yes. What we also wanted to talk about today is, speaking of new stuff, we're talking about the new norm, the IOC's program. Speaking of the IOC. Yes, right. Yes, the new norm. And that's the IOC's program to cut down the costs involved with bidding for a games and hosting a games. And remember, the new norm has like 100 points where maybe we could trim some money and trim some of the fat here. And recently, the IOC released a big document that uh, is a better effort in transparency. And it, de- it details the different things that uh, the IOC contract has for the games. And I got to tell you, you know what would sell this document for me? A mascot. A mascot. Have we learned <gasps> nothing from Pyeongchang? Have we learned nothing from this? We talked about this before. The new norm program needs a mascot. You're not you're not they selling need an actual because yeah a little guy named Norm. Yes, because as I was reading this, I'm like, oh my gosh, they have to buy this, they have to spend this, they have to provide that, they have to have this program and that program and the other program. No wonder nobody wants to bid. Oh, and did you see that uh, Gratz pulled out of 2026 for the bidding? Yes. So another city is down. Although you know that happens. But apparently, Italy has three cities that are discussing with the Italian uh, Olympic Committee who's going to be uh, the Italian nominee. So, right, so they want to bid. A long time ago, and this this was relevant. You'll see where I'm going with this. Okay. We had discussed a bit of a family tree with the IOC. Right. And while I was reading this, I came up with a great analogy to talk about the IOC stakeholders. Okay, So you need to think about royal marriages in like the 16th and 17th century. Okay. Just just go with me. Okay. So first you have the first arranged marriage. It's fine. And you have children. Then you have, then, then of course the wife dies in childbirth because that's what always happened. Then you have the second arranged marriage also fine. And you have more children. Those are the national Olympic committees and the international sports federations are the two. Those are the children. The, the two different sets of children from the same the two father. Set children from, from the same father and the two mothers. Okay, but then this 17th century royal has his favorite mistress, and his favorite mistress's children. Those are the marketing partners. <laughs> oh, I like it. Those are the people that the IOC actually chose to go into an agreement with. 
the the national Olympic committees and the international sports federations, they all get along fine, but they were kind of forced on the IOC. But the marketing partners, that's their mistress's favorite kids. And in the new norm, when we're going through all the different requirements, it is quite clear that of all the stakeholders, as they the term that they use, mm-hmm. the marketing partners are the most beloved. Well, of course. Yes. The marketing partners, and we talked a little bit about this beforehand, they detail who gets what hotel room like oh, yeah. you would not believe. It's amazing. And the, well, let's go back to the number of hotel rooms you need before you even talk about the athletes. Yes. Which is insane. You need to have almost 24,000 rooms for a winter games and almost 41,000 rooms for a summer games. And that's not part of, we're, we're not talking about the village. We're yeah. talking about hotel rooms. Right. For IOCs, NOCs, dignitaries, future Olympic game committees, and of course our marketing partners, our media people, which I did love that the media has a range of hotel quality from like 2.5 to 5, depending on who you are. Yeah. But you know who gets the worst rooms? The workforce. Oh, of course. And I love this. Yes. The technical officials. The poor things only get double rooms, so they got to share with one to two quality stars. I was, I mean, come on. Yeah, we don't like the refs, but one star hotels? Jeez. Oh, no, that's for the, no, that's for the Paralympic Games. The Olympic Game refs, well, they only get, uh, they only get two to four. But they still get like oh, that's single rooms, twin beds, that kind of thing. I mean, just that they would assign anybody one to two star rooms, I thought was a little insulting. Right. But I bet the Paralympics go, well, we can't afford that. Yeah, that's true, too. But, you know, it was, it, it was interesting going through this whole bid and seeing the the how the Paralympic and Olympic Games played off each other, especially and I'm probably jumping ahead with regards to that uh, cultural program that has to happen and that we don't see as a viewer, but if you're on the ground, you may see something about that, but you have to have that. So wait, let's, let's back up and explain even what that is. So as part of your, so, so what we had read was the host city contract. So this is the contract that the host city organizing committee will sign it is filled with so much buzzword kind of language, you know, a lot of implementing, a lot of maximizing, a lot of utilizing, you know, there's, uh, there was a lot a, of... A lot of IOC him must have control over or must yes, approve, approve everything. Were, I know, approve everything. Literally approve the kitchen sink. There are, what, four pages of abbreviations at the beginning of the contract. I mean, this is, you know, management consultant marketing speak in the worst way. But it does detail. And it was very interesting to read through because of how much detail it was. So, you know, in this idea of transparency, they're publishing this so that everybody knows what is really involved. So I totally forgot what we were talking about before I went off <laughs> um, on that tangent. Uh, the cultural program. The cultural program. So in the contract, 
not only talks about the games that we as television viewers see, but what happens on the ground. One of them being a whole cultural program to highlight and showcase the culture of the city and the host country in whatever, I mean, it's left really up to the host how right. they're going to do it, but they have to do it. So whether it's art or performing um, art yeah. presentations or there's lots of different options. So yes, you have this culture, yes, no, in, but you have this cultural program that you have to have. And in between the Olympics and the Paralympics, you have to keep that going. So not only do you have to have this on probably pre-games because a lot of places do start it early to get to yes. get some public engagement going, which is another factor and another program that you have to have is public engagement. But they also have to keep it going during the games, in between the Olympics and the Paralympics, and during the Paralympics. So you are right. talking about coming up with performances kind of out the wazoo or yes. or a lot of exhibitions or do we put together a little book or something like that it's kind of incredible what that calls for and i get it because it's kind of the olympics are a cultural phenomenon as well as a sporting right. event but that adds so much cost on to the price I just, right I can't imagine. And plus, on top of that, they have to have an educational program. Right. The aspect working with classroom, you know, in the classroom, we're not talking like, oh, we have it up on our website. They have to have an implementation strategy for bringing it into classrooms. Right. And getting kids involved and excited about the Olympics, which is kind of cool. But that is a lot of work and a lot of money. Right. So what surprised me in this well, it surprised me and didn't surprise me. So the Olympic Organizing Committee, the, the host city Olympic Organizing Committee, pays for everything. And the IOC tells you what you have to do. The IOC, to go back to my married couple of analogy, is the worst bridezilla ever. <laughs> they have to approve literally every item on your menu. Yeah. Yeah. It it was crazy. You want it was a, crazy. Whatever you detail down yes. detail down to the level of how many cars and drivers each national Olympic committee group gets. How many drivers they get, how many cars they get, how many windows are in an office. How many times the trash is taken out of rooms in the Olympic Village is in the contract. Wow. The trash has to be taken out every day. The towels have to re be replaced every two days. Okay. And the Olympic Village rooms have to be dusted and vacuumed every four days. I mean, there were a few things in here that old Olympics, even Rio, I, I mean, there was a whole section about water quality. Oh, wow. In and we know about the green pools, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of concern about the open water swimming events. I don't think they would have passed the With... water quality tests that are detailed. Oh, I'm sure. In, in well, this... I mean, like, this is their attempt at transparency. So I bet there were things in place, and Rio just said, oh, yeah, 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 we'll have it. Yeah. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. Another thing that yeah. they have, which I thought was pretty interesting, was you have to have an energy plan 
And every venue, yes. ve- every venue has to have two different sources of energy from, or yeah. from two different distribution centers, I guess you could say, because if the lights right, go because- out, you can still have another set of lights come on and light the venue. But they, but they also have a section in it about the game's carbon footprint. And you have to minimize, and there's very specific levels you have to reach of offsetting the carbon footprint of the games, which I thought was interesting. But then there was a couple of fun things that were specified about the village. You have to have a florist, you have to have a dry cleaner, you have to have a hair salon and a post office. And there's certain certain number of, of parking spaces per each of those things. So like parking spaces as in, what do so you mean? So in the village, right. to account for your florist, you have to have 20 parking spaces. For your general store, you have to have 20 parking spaces. But for your main merchandise selling, you have to have 100 parking spaces. Huh. Yeah. I want to know how many people go to the florist. I know. Or the hair salon. The hair salon I can get. I can get behind. I'm sure I, I would definitely go. For interviews. Can I, yeah. yeah. Can I get a haircut? Ooh, I can get a haircut. I haven't been able to get a haircut forever. And then the other funny thing that struck me was that they specify each of the items that has to be in the athlete's village rooms. Mm-hmm. But the really cool thing was 30% of the beds have to be extra long. <laughs> so the basketball player's feet won't hang off the end. I wonder if that's enough. You know, because you've got tall basketball players, you've got tall rowers, you've got tall volleyball players. And I wonder if they ever have the screw up where like the gymnasts get assigned the rooms with the extra long beds. <laughs> and you can fit like two gymnasts per bed. <laughs> You know, foot to foot kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That would be funny. But it it was an interesting read because you do realize just looking at this three, what was it, almost 300 pages of the contract, how much goes on that even people who go would have no clue is going on. Yeah, can you? I mean, it is like staging a world championships on crack, or like <laughs> multi. Well, on crack, I've multiplied by X for as many sports you have as you have. This is building a functioning city from scratch for two weeks, and then dismantling it. Which, on on the surface, sounds insane. Yeah, so it's no wonder that they're having trouble people getting cities to bid. Right, and they've put lots of things in, like there's no long. They specifically say for one-use venues like the velodrome, don't mm-hmm. build a new one. Find something you can refurbish or use again or use temporary. So they've taken things like that out, and they've also had things in there like we're not putting any size requirements on your venues so like oh, that's you- good so they don't have to have a ton but then it's on the host city to say to figure out how many tickets they want to sell because of course you want to maximize some revenue right but they don't want to end up with a bird's nest situation where you have right? this enormous stadium in beijing that they don't have anything to do with it's like nobody needs a stadium that big in beijing 
So I guess they don't want to make, you know, a velodrome with 10,000 seats. Right. But yeah, you have to wonder then, even without the specifications, do they say, do, do they have a consulting on the side that says, you know, look, hey, we know you want to build a fancy stadium, but keep in mind, you got to use this later. Yeah. I mean, I there is a whole section about legacy where it says they have to have at least a year ahead of the games. The host city has to have a legacy plan approved by the IOC. That is another one where I think that people say, oh, yeah, here's our plan. Do you have a, you know, I can I can come up with a great plan just sitting here right now off the top of my head. And I'm sure the IOC would approve it because they'd be going, oh, look at the legacy we have. But, you know, even with Pyeongchang, yeah. we've heard that they don't have plans for some of their venues yet. Or at the end, by the end of the games, they didn't have plans for a few venues. I mean, I think right. legacy if- is talking a big game and not really making sure it happens. Or, yeah. or providing help to ensure it happens because i still get the feeling that once the once the olympic games are done they just kind of wipe their hands and say we're done and we're moving on to the next games and just make sure that you know you've got to keep your website open for a year which was an interesting thing keep your website (laughs) open for a year don't forget that that. we have to have access to all your social media accounts or administrative access to all your accounts and things like that so nobody says anything that we don't like and We'll we'll keep monitoring how you use our Olympic symbols, but beyond that, it's your problem. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Is Paris the first one that's under this new regime officially, or is know. it 26? Yeah, I think it's Paris. So okay. we'll have to we'll have to, see to keep an eye does. as Paris yes. develops. Yeah. Well, at least the at the very least, the I mean, the noise keeps going that hey, these are too right. expensive. And when it was down to Paris and L.A. and they saw the writing on the wall, so hopefully, yeah. hopefully Paris is doing something. But they're still so far out that yeah, there's not much in place yet. So it'll be interesting to see because I mean, Tokyo is one of the ones with issues again because they keep putting money into it right and going over budget but you know maybe adding five sports wasn't a good idea i don't know yeah well the the thing that really really bothered me in this whole thing was they had a page saying about um how the ioc is expecting the host city to respect human rights and that's about all they said. I mean, I, I think I said this to you. They spent more time talking about, you know, how many parking spaces for the florist than the human rights issues. So they wow. talk. It, it's talking a lot, but not putting any teeth behind it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can at least get the environmental and the legacy issues fixed, and then maybe we can move on to some of the other right right the more idealistic views that we'd like to to put into this right and and maybe we should expect less i don't know because we'll actually next week we're going back to montreal and we'll talk about the montreal olympic stadium and do a tour and we do talk a bit about legacy and just not the lack of foresight but people tend not to think about it they get caught caught up in 
hey, we want to put on a great game, so we want to put on a spectacle. And a lot of people want to put on a really good show, and then you get some, someone like a Beijing or a Sochi where the right. government just decides we are plowing as much money as we can into this, and then it sets unreasonable standards for the next several editions. Right, with, with lots of concerns about human rights violations. Exactly. exactly. And, going and, in. And legacy, and you know, no legacy yeah. to speak of. Well, I'm going to be an idealist. And okay. I'm going to say it it should. I mean, human rights should go hand in hand with the Olympic ideal. They should. They should. So I'm just, I'm going to go to the Olympic Village florist. I'm going to send a bouquet to Tebok. And I'm going to say, you know, remember the ladies, so to speak. You know, <laughs> remember. <laughs> I would say this buds for you, but I bet they aren't a marketing partner. <laughs> Yes, so they so they get a one to two star hotel instead of the five star. Yeah, it's so funny. Heads of state only get a four to five star hotel room, but marketing partners, they get the five stars. Oh, you know what? I I did ask this. I saw in there that they had to have like medals or certificates to give to all the media people, like participation things. Mm -hmm. And so I pinged our buddy Sean Callahan. Who is oh, a video our, journal our cameraman. Yes, our cameraman, and said, hey, did you get something from Pyeongchang? And he said, no, that must happen at the corporate level. So I wonder if that's a money saver, or maybe somebody decided to ignore that requirement. I don't know. Or maybe but that was wasn't a requirement in, yeah, back for in that the day. contract. Right. Yeah, because that's where we're backdating. Right, yeah, yeah, because that would be another little, a little expense. It's not a little expense, but to have... Yeah have medals or certificates or something for the media people involved to thank them for coming. I don't know, but it's, why would, yeah, it's part of That's your like, job. It's a bonus know, to get to go there yet again. I keep going back to this marriage and, and wedding. It's like the stupid favor that mm -hmm. you get at the weddings with the candied almonds, with the ribbon on it that says, you know, Joey and Mary, May 15th, right. and you well, just you end up throwing it away. Well, you can, oh, I was going to say, you can at least eat those almonds. It's not like. Have you ever nothing. tried to eat those candied almonds? <laughs> Please, do you know how many Italian weddings I've been to with those candied almonds? You don't actually eat them because everyone just reuses the same pack. <laughs> We've been using the same candied almonds for 100 years. <laughs> Man. I know. So, new norm. Don't know if you're any newer than the old norm, yeah. but I, I still I still contest that a mascot would be the way to sell this program. If anybody's got ideas for the new norm, please send them, send them our way. I would love to see that. <laughs> I don't, yeah, but I don't, don't do don't do any hybrid animals. No, no. Don't have him like a wolf head no. and a fish body. And, and, I you know and and no. Olympic rings, Olympic flame. I'm not getting you into right, trouble too. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they will come for you. I think. I think new norm's going to be like a stick figure that I draw. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be like <laughs> But we will see. I mean, it's interesting that the IOC was this transparent, and I mean, they published the whole contract, right? But I wonder at this transparency because I wonder if that just starts scaring more people off. And there are plenty of, I know, <clears throat> besides we mentioned that, uh, or 
Graz and Austria withdrew their bid from 2026. Calgary's still going forward, but they're a little skittish, or at least the people are mm-hmm. a little skittish. And Italy's going to go forward, and Turkey is still trying to get oh, in Olympics. Turkey. Right? <sighs> Talk about human rights issues. Right? So we shall see. We shall see who stays in that game. And we'll see how this how this works because 2026 is the last Olympics you have to get for a while. So right because 28 is yeah. already yeah out. So they've got they've, so we'll have a couple of years right until you okay. know I guess 2026 and then 2030 will be the first two under these. In other news, did you see this? Yes, Ke- Keegan Randall, our team Olympic fever member, Keegan Randall. Uh, has was diagnosed with breast cancer recently. Yeah. So. But she, as you would expect, is fighting like a champ. Yes. She she posted, I saw this today on Instagram, she rode her bicycle to and from, to and from her chemo treatment. Wow. With her, you know, flashy shoes and her pink hair and, you know, but we're sending Keegan lots of love yes. and lots of good energy. Yes, definitely. She's, she's pretty amazing. She is, and we need to keep her around. Um, yeah. Also, our favorite hockey referee, Jessica Clerk, is uh, doing Try for the Cure. So she's trying to raise some money for, I believe that is also cancer awareness. And uh, if you hit up our Twitter feed, you can see we retweeted her donation link. If you are so inclined, please uh, donate to helping her out in her donation and her fundraising efforts. And then this is exciting. We'll put that we'll put that on the Facebook too. Yeah, okay, great. I'll get that up on Facebook. Okay. And then this is really exciting. Listener yes. listener Sandy is also a podcaster. She just released uh, her first full episode of her new podcast called Made in Museums, and you can find that at madeinmuseums.com and I also found it on iTunes. And she goes and travels to tiny little museums that are highly, highly specialized and talks to the people at the museum and learns about the collection and why the museum even exists in the first place. So, And you know those people are our people. Oh, right? Because right? they love... Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually very excited to listen to this. So tomorrow I have a whole bunch of paperwork that I'm going to be doing. And there's nothing I love more than... than listening to podcasts oh yeah while it's exciting. I while I do my bo- very boring road paperwork so yeah no so Sandy I'll be flipping on to that I'm excited I am as well I was listening to the introduction and she talks about all of the random bar- barbed wire facts she knows from visiting a barbed wire museum oh, oh that isn't that that's my type of people too <laughs> so on the museum front did you see that listener Dennis went to the Canadian uh, Olympic experience I did see that that, that was really was exciting. Great. Yeah, so I'm uh, very glad that to he enjoy himself out. very much. Yes, yes, I was jealous of someone else who got there. I don't think I'll be making it to Montreal this summer. But put but it on your list. It is it's on the a very list. Very cool museum. It does, look and it cool. doesn't take what. It's not just a cool museum because they have a lot of cool interactive stuff, but it doesn't take a long time to go through because that's a museum to me. I like museums a lot, but I also get museum fatigue pretty quickly. And this was just about the perfect length for me to go through. And now you don't even have to go. Sandy is going for you. <laughs> and it's like you'll be visiting all of these museums without ever leaving your kitchen table. Right? I'm excited. So yeah. good luck, Sandy. We will be listening to you. 
she ever needs a traveling buddy, just call yes, us. That's right. That's we'll right. show up and visit a museum with that's you, right. Sandy, any time. That's right. And don't forget, we have our book club is still going on. We're reading Boys in the Boat by Jan- Daniel James Brown. And I got to say, I thought you were going to take that analogy about the royal weddings and family trees and instead use the boys in the boat with uh, Joe being like the first wife's kids and then Thula being the second wife and the second wife's kids, except for then I was like, well, no, Joe's dad, to my knowledge, yet has not had a mistress. Right. I I couldn't make that analogy because that has got me... I mean, I'll save this for when we do our book club, but Joe better end up having the happiest life ever right? oh. later because, man, is it been. He had a tough row. I'm only in sophomore year of college, and he's had it pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Cannot imagine. Don't you wanna... Yeah, I want to go feed him. <laughs> it's like, can I go back in time and oh bring you gosh, a casserole? Right? right. And if time's like you read this stuff and like, wow, these are really hard times. And then they get harder. I know. Thank God. I know it's a happy ending because yeah, yeah, I'd be. Yeah. Wow. But it's a great read. It really is incredible. What I am learning about rowing. Very excited about that. Uh, We will have book club Claire back on in a few weeks to should we mention our our audible deal oh yeah we should mention our audible deal if you prefer listening to audiobooks you can get a free download and a 30-day free trial at audible.com and you can use that for the boys in the boat or any one of their other 180,000 plus title just go to www.audibletrial.com slash fever to sign up for your free trial and when you sign up for a free trial you help us support the ongoing cost of our show and we would greatly appreciate that and then you can listen to the book which is pretty awesome right so i've heard which might be a little cheerier because you know (laughs) i don't know hearing about it it, uh, yeah because oh and then they show the pictures in the book and they're so happy and Joe's so handsome. And I'm like, oh, but things are hard, but it's going to get better. Right. That's what you hope. I, I don't know how he pulled it off, but he did. That's how we that's why we have to read the book. That's we have right. to finish. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that will do it for us for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back here next week. But we're going back to Montreal and we got a tour of the Olympic Stadium there and if you want to talk about legacies Montreal Olympic Stadium for them calling it the big O as an OWE because it took them 30 years to pay off the debt is a pretty amazing place so I'm really excited to share that story with you next week and until then keep the flame alive Au revoir! Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Things are hard, but it's going to get better.